At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Havick, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get healthcare in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates who are fed up with the status quo and we have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations with innovative individuals across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. Today, we're going to explore the idea of care decisions, giving physicians and doctors all the tools necessary to make the best medical and clinical decision, but also the best decision when it comes to finances. To help me through this conversation, please welcome Carm Huntress, founder and chief innovation officer at RX Review. Carm, welcome to Healthcare Americana. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks so much and great to be here today. We talk a lot about this and, and, and I am one who will raise my hand and say, hey doctor, if you recommend a, a care procedure or a follow-up and you don't know the price, whether it's a million dollars or whether it's $3, you're part of the problem. That's not how services are bought and sold in the United States of America. At RX Review, you guys have a solution for this. Tell me a little bit more about what you're doing and how you're affecting the financial equation when it comes to patient care. Yeah, absolutely. So we're at RX Review, we're uh, essentially the largest provider of real-time drug cost transparency in the United States to providers at the point of care. So we have a whole set of relationships with most of the largest payers in the United States uh, that enable us to, in real time, price a patient's drug um, and a lot of other information related to coverage determination in real time, and then bring that data to the real decision maker, um, which is the provider at the point of care. And so we're, uh, as in your opening section there, really trying to help the doctor, right, make the most clinically effective, but also cost-effective decision for, for the patient. And, you know, today, most clinicians are just blind to all that information. And so we support about 200,000 doctors in the United States and do pricing for over 150 million uh, Americans. Those are big numbers there. And, and I always think, you know, I've kind of scratched my head, how could these clinicians, uh, physicians, providers, how could they be so blind to what things actually cost when they are saying, hey, Chris, I think you need an MRI, go down the street and get it. And it's like, well, wait a minute. What what if I went five more miles? What what price difference is this? And they have no idea. They have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. How, I, how does it come to, how did it come to be? <laughs> well, I think for starters, you know, we, we used to have a health insurance industry where most of the costs were employer sponsored, right? Where you and I as individuals were paying relatively low costs for these, these services and it didn't really matter. The problem is over the last two decades, we've had a massive growth in consumer driven healthcare and the responsibility of consumers to cover the cost with high deductible plans 
And in pharmacy, you know, co-pays and co-insurance and um, very high cost drugs that have made it really unaffordable to consumers. And now it's the third leading cause of, of, of bankruptcy is medical bills. And so we're really in a different era of healthcare now. And none of the systems or capabilities were set up, um, at least until very recently, to enable cost transparency to providers and even patients. And the reason for that is, is really the very high level of complexity that you're up against. If I'm trying to say in our world, you know, what is a drug going to cost at a patient's preferred pharmacy for a particular drug at a particular dose for a particular day supply today? based on their deductible, based on their plan design, based on their formulary, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That is a very, very complex thing to do. You know, I was on the phone with a payer the other day. They have 10,000 variations of benefit design to, to meet 10, their 10,000 variations to meet their the needs of their commercial Medicare and Medicaid plans. Uh, and so, so that just, you know, shows you how hard this really is. And then the underlying technology infrastructure was never meant to do this, right? The, the claim systems that are even still out there today were built in a different era of technology, and we still use words like mainframe in our world. Um, and so it's not till very recently running this scale and this volume of these types of transactions was even a technology possibility. And we've had to progress and drive the industry a lot towards you know, upgrading their technology infrastructure to enable um, these type of real-time transactions to, to happen. We've had a lot of success in pharmacy, obviously, at the scale we just talked about. And we're really hopeful that all these other services on the medical benefit side, labs, imaging, radiology, really start to come to fruition. So we can have a complete layer of cost transparency for all of healthcare, and then bring that data down to providers when they're ordering, and obviously patients and other, other types of use cases. So we can live in a transparent healthcare system. Obviously a big fan of transparency here coming from the direct care world. That's why I, I kind of balked when you said 10,000. I'm like, holy cow, how are there 10,000 different ways for somebody to walk into a pharmacy and buy the necessary medication that they need? It's mind boggling. And, and, and if you have input on that, please do share. But I, I'm kind of at a loss on, on how, do, how do you break that one down and, and explain, hey, this is the best way to do things. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think, you know, employer, especially large employers and PBMs desire to meet their clients needs have led to more and more complexity. And, and I think unnecessary complexity of what's covered, what's not covered, you know, what are the co-pays, what are the co-insurance tiers, you know, I think there, there probably is a simpler approach. But again, we get back to sort of the core thesis of our business, which is really about bringing cost transparency as the first thing to move to value. You know, we have this thing internally, like you can't improve what you can't measure. And until we have a true measuring stick around what the cost of something is and understanding that that cost, obviously eventually related to outcomes, but we can't sit there and say, well, what's, what's the better value option here? What's the lower cost option if we don't know what the cost is? And so, that's why we've been on such a relentless mission and, and really scaled up these services because we're heading in the right direction now. Um, we've done it in pharmacy. We think there's a lot of other opportunity in other areas, but this is the, the evolution we need to take to, to, to eventually get to value and, and really measure uh, the cost of these products and services. Absolutely. I, there's a ton of um, tailwind, I guess, behind 
price transparency. Not always the best, um, I'm going to say the, the, the big boys of the industry aren't really putting their best foot forward. We talk about hospital transparency. And in that, um, not necessarily affecting your business per se, but it is still something very, very needed. So what type of challenges have you seen from a business and from an industry standpoint when you are pushing for transparency when it comes to the areas that you're dealing with? I'd say probably one of the biggest things we've we've struggled with is sort of where transparency has been historically, which is really around static data that isn't personalized to the patient mm-hmm. and isn't in real time. And and the problem with that, and and historically this has led to a huge amount of distrust by providers and patients because they get inaccurate pricing. So you know, previously the data in terms of cost transparency was sort of the static data that you know they're just flat files of cost. And there's so um, that, many ICD numbers. It's like, well, I don't even know what this stuff means. Yeah. You know, you, you can't even pay attention to this stuff. It's so complex mm-hmm. uh, and the doctors have limited amounts of time. And so, you know, this data has historically been inaccurate around transparency and it's really been at the plan level, not at the patient specific level. And that's really one of the things in terms of educating the market. You know, I spend a huge amount of time you know, not only with our customers and providers and educating them, like, no, this is individual real-time patient cost, you know, and we've actually done retrospective studies looking at the claims of what actually the patient paid and did, did the data line up. And it does, it's, it's, it's one-to-one, which is fantastic. You know, that we know we're giving accurate pricing at the, at the point of care. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, that's probably one of the biggest hurdles of educating, um, even on the regulatory front, how we need to move to a real time individual patient cost perspective. And, and it's all due to the reasons we just talked to, right? If, you know, consumer driven healthcare, it's so, you know, I might have a $4,500 deductible now, and I'm paying cash out of pocket. Um, even though my plan says I have a $20 copay and that only hits after I reach my deductible. So these are the challenges and education stuff we've had to do to get the market comfortable and really committed to moving towards real-time data. Yeah, I'm curious, just your your personal thoughts and professional thoughts, if, if that's the lens you want to take on high deductible health plans. Are these good for the American patient or are they something that could get us into a lot of trouble? Yeah, I mean, they're good in that they're directionally right. I mean, I think the burden, for better or worse, that we've put on employers to sort of take the responsibility away from consumers around their healthcare has been detrimental. Mm -hmm. I think the problem is that we've got high deductible plans embedded in a fee for service market. You know, where where we need that is really the problem today. If we could have high deductible plans in, embedded in a value-based market, that would be much better for consumers because then we're getting real alignment between what I'm paying and the value that I'm getting. The problem for consumers is, you know, because of fee-for-service, we want those consumers to pay more and more and more. Hence, you know, the high bankruptcy rates in, in healthcare today with consumers. So I think a lot of this stuff is directionally right, um, but, but we've got to continue to have a commitment to move more aggressively towards value. Yeah, I, I like how you put that. Um, high deductible plans are in the, step in the right direction. Unfortunately, you know the economic model that we're trying to support with that is in antique. You know, you mentioned yeah. at the beginning of this episode where a lot of that was employer paid, and I kind of laughed when you said, "Well, the price didn't matter." You know, it didn't matter what what people are paying out there. And then I think I think a lot of people wisened up to that and said, "Well, we can charge whatever the heck they want to. People are going to pay it." Now the impetus is more on the the patient 
to shoulder that burden. Like you said, a lot of times that ends up in BK or the hospital has to technically write off bills uh, if the patient is lucky. Yeah, it, it is an absolute mess. And like you said, it, it, it's it's dealing with systems that don't really talk to each other and really aren't compatible with one another. Going into that subject of interoperability, I think we've we've been struggling with that in healthcare for for decades. You know, do EMRs even talk to each other? How can a patient transfer their medical records between hospitals? How does RX review, you know, start to approach that interoperability and start to work and pull data from a bunch of different systems when everybody really just wants to draw the line in the sand and claim their little kingdom in the market? Yeah, there's there's a lot of work we've done in this space in terms of interoperability. And, you know, if we do a little bit of a history lesson on meaningful use, you know, meaningful use was great in terms of moving the market from paper-based records, right, to digitalizing and having electronic health records. The problem was there wasn't a really clear set, and we saw this the same problem in transparency, a clear set of regulations and standards driving the data and the interoperability. And so, you know, fast forward to where we are today, where we we are just now getting standards like FHIR and in our world, the real-time benefit standard, uh, EPA standards, eligibility standards to a point where they're well-defined and well-understood. And um, you can't, you know, moving a medical record around does not mean just sending a bunch of PDFs uh, of documents, yeah, or faxing, <laughs> faxing stuff around. That's not interoperability, right? Yeah. We need, you know, standard structured um, data elements that are interoperability and understood. So, you know, we spent even time in early days at Arcs Review working on the FHIR standard, the fast healthcare interoperability resource, which is this standard structure way of, of, of transacting medical information. And we worked actually supporting the, the medication concept. So, you know, we had a clearly defined way. This is the way you describe a medication and you can only describe it in this way. Um, so there's no confusion of, of when you send that to another system, it's, it's understood on the other end. Mm-hmm. And so those types of standards are really a lot of the time we've, we've spent um, working on it. And, you know, we were instrumental in bringing the real-time benefit or RTPB to market real-time benefit or pharmacy benefit, I should say, RT, RTPB to the market. And that standard now is part of a, a, a mandate under Part D um, for, for prescription drugs. So we now have a mandate behind a standard that everybody can adhere to, and that drives interoperability. And sort of the, the other thing people miss is every time you have like a customization or some unique way of doing it, that greatly increases your time to market. And so we can go a lot faster now because everybody's living around a standard way uh, in our case, of how to do prescription drug cost transparency. And so when a payer shows up, we say, hey, how are you following the standard? Oh, yeah, we're following the standard. Great. We know we can just connect into that data. We know how it's going to be structured. And then we can start quickly running transactions. And then the, we go to the EHR and we say, well, do you have a way to take real-time benefit? Oh, yeah, we have a way to digest the data and show it to the doctor. Great. We'll 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 connect you very easily on the other side. And so these standards are are people sort of skip over them, but they un, are the underlying pinning to getting all these you know, services and capabilities and interoperability to scale in the right way versus the miss we had in with early meaningful use that got us to an electronic world, but really in the wrong way. And now we've been spent years course correcting that. And I really do think now that we're 
you know, hopefully in this new decade, we're really on uh, the tipping point of true interoperability. And I think there's going to be a lot of amazing things that are going to happen over the next decade because of, of now where we are in, with interoperability. I hope so. It, it, it gives me some optimism hearing you say that too, from the technology standpoint. I wanted to dig a little bit back into your past. It, it's always it's always fun talking to founders of companies like this because you know, I always try to dig and find that moment where the light bulb went on and saying, there's got to be a better way to do this. You know, we're not just going to sit here and reinvent the mousetrap. And so, Carm, you know, when did you feel that that kind of light bulb moment of I need to do everything I can to bring transparency into healthcare? Yeah. So in 2013, I met a guy named Dr. Kevin O'Brien, who ended up becoming our chief medical officer. And he had really been he's a pulmonologist and had been struggling with high cost drug issues um, as early as back then, um, with his patients, um, you know, and, and obviously in pulmonology, inhalers and things like that, that are very high cost and a challenge from an affordability standpoint for many patients. So he started really looking into this and he actually created a book um, that he wanted to publish sort of on Amazon about sort of the cost and quality of drugs. And over about a three-year period prior to when I met him, he had organized about 100, 110 different conditions and every drug you could treat that condition for, and then looked up sort of the average cost of that drug and, and sort of cataloged all this. So it was a wonderful reference tool. And what was amazing to me, we met over breakfast. And what was really amazing is we were sitting there and, you know, I opened this book and instantly that was the moment. I mean, I looked at this condition, you know, it might've been ADHD or hypertension or diabetes, and you look at the laundry list of potential drugs that are essentially doing the same thing. Hmm. Um, and you looked at the cost variation and you went, what the heck? Why, you know, if I'm buying a, a, a screwdriver, you know, those screwdrivers should generally cost the same, right? Because they all do the same thing. Uh, they screw things in into a wall or, you know, or wherever, wherever you want to use a screw. And, and drugs are kind of the same way. These drugs do the same thing. Why are, why is the cost variation, you know, $5,000 between the lowest cost option to the highest cost option? This does not make any sense. And then sort of the lack of, you know, the, the fact that I didn't really know this stuff, you know, I, I wasn't and, and still aren't really on any medications in my life, but was, was just sort of blown away of like, oh yeah, you can't really look up the cost of any of this stuff. Uh, even a cash pay is relatively challenging. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was the big moment of like, oh my gosh, you know, someone's got to figure this out. And then once I sort of understood the market moving into value, you have to say, well, then everybody needs access to transparency to act in a value-based world. And so I've always had the thesis that someday every doctor and every patient will be able to price every single drug, every single service, every single appointment or care intervention in their life um, that they need in real time, right? Like we're going to eventually get there. I could be wrong on timing and you could argue I have been because this took a lot longer than I thought it would. <laughs> um, but but that's really the, the light bulb moment for me was, was that and seeing all those things come together. And, you know, I'm really happy to say eight years later, we, we really have, I think, achieved significant success in bringing that, that to light. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. And again, like I said, not, not just light bulb moments, but, you know, I think I read in like an Inca magazine that, you know, entrepreneurship and getting that first idea is 
like getting hit in the face by a wet newspaper on a really windy day. It kind of wraps around you. It's all you can think about, right? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, looking at that list and, and, and I, I, I have a feeling I, I know exactly what you're looking at or what you're referencing is looking at this and saying, how in the world does somebody make heads or tails of this? And then being able to automate that. I mean, that's truly a service. Are you finding um, any consumer, do you have any, any, any dealings with consumers trying to educate them or trying to show them what prices are changing or price variability around um, their area? Or is it strictly physicians? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the consumer use cases are coming. There's some really great work to, being done around the Karen Alliance, um, which we're involved in. Um, to help uh, bring a consumer use case to, to bear. There's a whole different set of technological challenges. Um, one of the things that we have as an advantage at the point of care is we know the patient's health insurance, we know their plan information. If you just sort of offered this to a consumer, they have to do some, some work to sort of say, okay, wait, what plan are you on? What, what's the information we need to actually run a, a cost a transparency transaction for you for your medications? I think probably in the next two years, we'll probably see those use cases come to market. And, you know, I hope we can be a provider of that, you know, sort of the, just like we're aggregating this data for EHRs, aggregating this for consumer-based applications. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, a, a, an app can come to us, maybe it's a medication adherence app, maybe it's a medical record app, maybe it's a... Um, a payer app, and they want to have that real-time cost transparency data as part of that offering. Um, so that's more of almost like a shopping experience for that consumer on their, their plan. Really excited to support, and there's hundreds or thousands of those, those companies out there today. We'd love to be the underlying network supporting those, those consumer transactions. Still have a ways to go. And, and again, you know, I'd say there's still some hesitancy from payers and PBMs of kind of letting that data go out into the world because they do think, you know, their benefit design and cost design is unique and proprietary, right? And they do, depending on their rebate and volume that they do with certain manufacturers, they get significant discounts. And, you know, there's some concern about unleashing this into the wild, right? And letting consumers just have open access, uh, even though that's ultimately what we need to do. And I, I, I think those, those concerns are probably a little bit too high. Um, I think in reality, we can deliver a really great consumer experience. And it's ultimately what, what consumers want. And I also feel like there's a stigma because consumers like never go use the, their portals. And I think the industry and payers don't quite realize those aren't great experiences. Those are really hard, difficult experiences and always have been. We've been, and this is, we experienced this on the provider side where you know, they were saying, well, these providers won't go to these portals to look up the cost of the drugs. And it's like, do you know how much work you're asking them to do to, you know, they've got to create a login and log in, then they have to go look the patient up then they have to enter all the drug information. Then they get the price of the drug. They have seven minutes with a patient. This right. is not going to happen. Right. right. Check your um, email for a password. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's, 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 it's unbelievable that, you know, there were expectations that the providers were going to use this stuff. What yeah. we've shown is when you embed it, you know, it doesn't add clicks. It's part of the workflow. It's embedded in their ordering process and the way they've always done things. They use it consistently and they love it. That's the same thing we've got to move on the consumer side. So it's accessible alongside all the consumer health applications and even fitness applications that 
consumers use today. Um, and that's really where we need to drive the in- industry. This should be ubiquitous. I mean, you know, uh, no, no different than shopping on Amazon, right? So that's where we really have to, to get to from an industry perspective. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, meaningful use uh, earlier too. And in kind of going along with the theme of really empowering the consumer to be able to learn, look and learn and, and know more. I mean, I, I would I would guarantee you that 99% of people out there have never seen the medical chart, you know, and it's just like, okay, wait a minute. This isn't exactly hospital owned property here. This is me. This is my life. I need to know what notes doctors are taking about me, but same type of thing. And I would almost challenge that aspect of, you know, just poor consumer design and consumer experience from logging on to these things. I usually see it more as protectionism, you know, when they're saying, hey, we just can't, we can't do transparency because then our competitors might see our prices and then everybody's prices are going to increase. And you saw a lot of hospitals saying that of uh, that's why they didn't post their prices online because somebody down the street might see it and, you know, want the same type of deal. And it's like, well, wait a minute, this is, (laughs) that's kind of the opposite of how uh, supply and demand economics usually work, but hey, it is healthcare. Uh, It's a, it's a weird little alternate universe unto itself. Um, so that being said, you know, I, I, I want you pick my curiosity from the PBM standpoint. Um, PBMs to me, and, and I get the feedback a lot working with physicians with one or two practices, nobody quite understands what PBMs are and what they do. And so I would love for you to shed some light on that. And transparently, like we've had PBM companies on this show before talking about all the different ways that they add value and try to drive costs down. And I've been in meetings where PBM managers say, even if you made us show our rebates to everybody and put it out publicly, it's not going to do anything to decrease the the cost of pharmaceutical drugs. So love to get your reaction to those type of sentiments. Yeah. A lot of this, when I started RX Review, I did a lot of this sort of history lesson because I was in the same sort of situation of like, wait, what is this this pharmacy benefit manager? I didn't even know they existed, right? Um, and they, they stay pretty blind to your, you know, your, you know, your health plan. You might know United Healthcare, but you might not know Optum, right? And Optum RX in terms of the PBM. And so there's sort of this behind the scenes entity. And if you go back to a time where we didn't live in a digital world, and more and more manufacturers were coming online with drugs, you needed somebody from a plan perspective, right, to go out, negotiate the deals to buy those drugs um, for the plan members and sort of do that all manually and sort of set up those relationships and then process those pharmacy claims back in the day all manually. Uh, and, And there was a really good reason for them to exist. Um, And the problem is they sort of it led them down this path where they could end up being very opaque, um, which we've ended up in in today in terms of, to your point, what these rebates are. And there's a lot of questions about their financial, their financials in terms of how much money they're making. And then the second issue is really the the whole industry shifted to digital where we we have claim systems now, we can run this at scale. And so there's sort of this question of, well, what's the PBM value today where, you know, now I can have technology that can support a lot of the functions of the PBMs. I think the interesting thing, the phase we're in now is very interesting. And the reason for that is that the PBMs have at least the, the, the top three have all become part of a payer. And you know, we're now watching these PBMs start to change their thinking from we want to maximize volume and costs because that's how we make money, right? That's our revenue to we really have to support the plan and optimize their their costs. 
um, and reduce their costs for their members. And so I think this coupling of all the major PBMs tying together with payers is a helpful thing in moving the industry in the right direction towards value and optimizing these costs. We still have a lot of bad behavior, both in terms of the opaqueness of the industry um, and sort of the manufacturers. And you know, there's a lot of finger pointing is that the manufacturers with the PBMs that are driving sort of these insane hikes in, in costs, which has led to you know, the, the US government stepping in and trying to put more regulation in place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our viewpoint is, look, the answer here is transparency, right? Let's get into a world where we can start to look at the cost of all this stuff to measure the value and then think about how we can improve. As soon as you can sort of put a cost or a value to something, you can start to say, well, how does this compare to another option? And what were the outcomes related to these two different options? And then which was the best, you know, the best value? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I really think that in our world is the, the right way to sort of take the steps we need to or with PBMs and ultimately where they need to go. And I think I'm excited because also due to technology, PBMs really have to be differentiated now. They, they really can't just sort of do the 101 stuff in terms of, you know, setting up benefit design and claims processing. They have to offer a much broader breadth of services to support their clients and, you know, it's more about disease and condition management and uh, digital therapeutics and other types of products and services they can offer to their, their plan clients. And in some cases, their owners in a case of the big three. And so, you know, we want to participate in that. If we can start to be better uh, vendors to them and support their needs in terms of how they're moving away from just being sort of a traditional PBM into more of a clinically and value-based driven uh, entity. It's always this tug of war between, like you said, the manufacturers, the people out there spending billions of dollars to develop brand new drugs to help us out versus the wholesalers versus the distributors in a typical supply chain. One question that did pop into my mind, and this will be you know, the second to last question as we draw it at an end here. What do you say to people who look and compare about the price discrepancies of the same drug within the United States borders versus purchasing it internationally? Yeah, I mean, this is a really hard one because we sadly have taken on the cost burden in some cases for the rest of the world here um, to sort of like we pay the bill for the rest of the world and to make drugs affordable to them. Um, And, you know, look, this is the system we set up and, you know, there's no way back. I don't really believe in, you know, creating an economic model where we force these international prices into the U.S. healthcare system, we really just have to fix the U.S. healthcare system. As I thought about this and and the future, it's all about moving to value. It's all about full capitated care or, you know, shared savings or ACOs. We've got to start to really push the industry in that, that, that direction. You know, there's some light being shown on value-based models and even in pharmacy, right? VBC-based contracting, where they're specifically looking at an outcome and then, you know, the the plan or the patient is paying if if the drug was effective or not. You know, that's the direction we need to head into because then everybody gets focused on the right thing of bringing products, you know, therapeutics to market that really deliver value and improve outcomes, 
What's exciting is I think we've got a lot of the technology infrastructure either in place or coming around interoperability that would enable a value-based world, right? Again, you have to measure just like we measure the cost. You have to be able to measure the outcome. Well, the outcome is clinical data that for historically has been tied up in really bad systems that didn't have standards and didn't have a way of, oh, I need to look at this clinical value. Well, that's just in a, you know, a PDF printout somewhere. We need that in the standard structured way so we can measure these outcomes and tie it back to value. And that's really where, you know, we spend a lot of time and in, in pushing the industry of like, well, look, we're bringing cost transparency. Let's bring clinical transparency. Let's get to value. And that's the end zone for, in my mind, opposed to trying to play this game of, you know, we're going to pay the same price as, you know, X, Y, Z country um, in the Middle East or, you know, in the other side of the world. Um, I just don't think that's a reality with the complexity we're up against here in the U.S. And the real reality is let's get to value. I was going to ask you what your what your uh, opinion of the perfect healthcare system, you know, the perfect American healthcare system, but I think you just gave it to us there. So instead, I'm going to ask you this last question. What are the reactions from, you know, physicians and providers who are able to give their patients accurate pricing data when they prescribe this medication for them? Oh, it's, it, you know, the results are fantastic. I mean, it's part of the reason why we've been really been able to scale up. I think when I started the business, there was less or more reluctance, I should say, from providers to have this. It's like, oh my gosh, this is one more thing I have to worry about. It's like what the patient's going to pay. Another form to fill out. Another, yeah, you know, another thing to do. And it's like, wait a minute, hold on. This is just alongside your ordering process. We're going to show you the cost. It turns out, right, if you do two things, if you don't add more clicks to the provider's workflow and you lower their cognitive load to make a better, more informed decision, that's really meaningful to them. If you hand them bad technology that burdens them and makes them do more clicks and makes them think a lot more to get their job done, they tend to not like it. Um, just like you don't like a really bad app on your phone that's really cumbersome to use. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious stuff, but we tend to run over it in healthcare and think providers don't want this stuff. The other really big thing is just the administrative burden. You know, statistics are basically saying for for every single doctor, there's about 20 hours of administrative time per week now on things like prior authorization. That has really become a major issue for a lot of health systems and providers. And so when we can walk in there and say, look, we're going to show you if there's a prior auth required for this drug. And is there a, a, a non uh, an, a, a therapeutic alternative that doesn't have a prior authorization? Oh, my gosh, that would be hugely helpful. Every single one of those I avoid is 30 minutes to a few hours of time of my clinical staff trying to do that prior authorization. So those type of things are really what get doctors excited to use this technology. And I think doctors are just more aware than ever that consumers are bearing the cost and understand that they, they can sit around all day and recommend, you know, 100 different treatments if the patient can't afford it you know, it doesn't really move the dial and doesn't improve their health. And so that cost transparency is pretty important to them. And I think they're, they're really having a recognition that they need to make it as, you know, part of their workflow. Yeah. Uh, including financial decisions and that process of the actual treatment, you know, bringing it all that full 360 degrees and not stressing somebody out because they can't afford their medication because they do have a high deductible plan. You got $6,000 deductible, but 300 bucks in the bank. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Big exactly. time. Well, Kari, it sounds like every major hospital across the United States needs this tool. Yeah. I mean, look, we're, I, I'm so excited about, you know, we're going to do, you know, um, I, I think somewhere between, it's hard to tell based on the growth, 50 to maybe 100 million of these transactions this year. 
it's super exciting that we're at this scale and that we're helping doctors in, in such a wonderful way, but we're still on the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about, we'll price a few billion dollars worth of drugs this year for patients, it's a $400 billion market. And it's a trillion dollar market when you think of medical-based services, you know, multi-trillion dollar market. We have such a long way to go in terms of how many more decisions we want to be part of um, to bring cost transparency to the point of care. And if you think about the big number is there's about 6.5 billion drugs prescribed each year in the United States. So we still have a long way to go in terms of making this ubiquitous and accessible to both providers and patients. So I'm really, really excited about what we're doing, but I agree with you. Every single hospital, every single doctor, every single patient needs access to the data. And and that's the mission we're on. Carm Huntress, founder and chief innovation officer at RX Review. Thanks for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That's going to be it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. The new administration has big plans for your health insurance, changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Healthcare is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from iSelf Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan, which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com a free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.